0: Coming up on Philosophy Talk, Simone de Beauvoir, French feminist, novelist, self-proclaimed midwife of Sartrean existentialism.
1: I was against any kind of oppression, the oppression of class, of individuals, of peoples, the oppression of individuals particularly.
0: De Beauvoir's monumental book, The Second Sex, is a classic of feminist philosophy.
1: I considered it to be an essay, a search to obtain a deeper knowledge of woman. The first to distinguish biological sex from socially constructed gender. When I began to write the book, I didn't even suspect how heavily woman's condition weighs on her. So writing my book was a revelation for me, an apprenticeship rather than a political act.
0: Our guest is Shannon Mussett, editor of Beauvoir and Western Thought, From Plato to Butler, the philosophy of Simone de Beauvoir, coming up on Philosophy Talk.
1: Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Peary. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're
0: here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that start at Stanford University at Philosopher's Corner. That's where Ken and I are professors of philosophy. Today, it's the legacy of Simone de Beauvoir. Simone de Beauvoir is probably best known as a novelist and feminist thinker, but she was also an existentialist philosopher, and like her lover Sartre, thought a lot about freedom. Now, John, I'm a big fan. I'm a
1: growing fan in my old age of existentialist philosophy, and I've always been a fan of feminist thought. But, you know, I'm not really sure how feminism and existentialism go together.
0: Well, let's start with uh, the more familiar part of Beauvoir's uh, work, The Feminist Theory, and then see if we can work our way over to existentialism. Okay, good plan. Her her most famous
1: work was The Second Sex. Now, that's a really big book, and it's a hugely influential book. It, It laid the groundwork for what's called the second wave of feminism.
0: Now, first wave feminism is a term we use for women's suffrage and property rights back in the 20s when they got the vote. The second wave broadened things to include sexuality, inequality, family, the workplace, reproductive rights, and so on. All of that started with uh, Beauvoir's The Second Sex, and it continues. Yeah, and in that book, she outlined powerfully how women are
1: perceived as other in patriarchal society, other in the sense of secondary to the male, the second sex. Men, uh, we're the first sex. We're the default sex.
0: She famously wrote, one is not born, but rather becomes a woman. Now, What do you think she means by that exactly, John? Well, I think she's getting at how the roles we associate with women are not really given at birth, just in virtual biology. They're socially constructed, and women are taught that what they're supposed to be in life and what they're not supposed to be, what kind of roles they can or can't perform in virtue of being, quote, the second sex. So let's try and I think
1: we can begin to relate that kind of idea to existentialist concerns with freedom and living in bad faith and all that actually. Well, do go on Well, Ken. <laughs> So look, existentialists are concerned with radical freedom, with the kind of freedom you have when you make a decision in good faith, when you kind of choose from the ground floor what you are to be. We always have that kind of radical freedom, uh, uh, Sartre says. And if you deny that, if you deny that, you're always free to choose yourself. You're living in bad faith. You're allowing yourselves to be ruled by identities, imposed on you from outside you can't do that
0: well that's that's fine but what does that have to do with with this dictum that 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 you're not born a woman but you become a woman
1: well think about it if someone is taught her entire life that to be a woman she has to behave in a certain way dress in a certain way play a subservient role within her uh, family work only certain kinds of jobs have limited life expectations and then if she accepts that role she's less free she, she's less authentic. She surrendered herself to the other, to the,
0: the imposing other. But, but look, existentialism posits radical freedom. Yeah. You, you don't have a pre-established essence, and nobody else can decide what your essence is either. You always choose who you are. But then oppressive male society, it seems she's saying, preempts or co-ops the choice. It imposes an identity.
1: Yeah, you could wonder. You know, you're right. I see your point that you could wonder if that's consistent. Because if you're radically free, how's anybody going to impose an identity on you?
0: So maybe you're suggesting, Ken, that she shouldn't have written this 785-page, what she calls an essay, on male oppression. She should have said, hey... We're all existentialists. Buck it up, women. Nobody can impose your identity on you. You're condemned to be free. Well,
1: right. So that's yeah, a puzzling thing, you know. And uh, help us get our way into De Beauvoir's mind. We sent our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash, to learn more about her life her, and her times. She files this report.
2: Simone De Beauvoir was born in 1908 to an upper middle class family, but that privilege largely dissipated after her grandfather went bankrupt. Beauvoir's father was determined that both she and her sister would get an education and become self-supporting.
3: And this was quite distinct, obviously, when compared to other bourgeois upbringings.
2: Bradley Stevens from the University of Bristol is an expert in French literature and history.
3: Women were expected to marry, to make a good marriage, um, and to go on and become good wives and mothers. Uh, Simone de Beauvoir, of course, didn't follow this path.
2: Beauvoir was one of the first women to get a degree from the Sorbonne. Later, as a young woman in the 1930s, she taught philosophy. And then in 1939, World War II hits Europe like a hammer. The Nazis occupy France.
0: More than three-fifths of their country was to be blacked out by a military occupation. The remainder was to be controlled by a French government acceptable to Hitler. A tax of 400 million francs a day was to be imposed on the French people to support the German army of
3: occupation.
2: The war years are hard on Beauvoir, both personally and materially. Her apartment is so cold that she writes from cafes. Oh, and of course, the war separates Beauvoir from her lifelong companion, Jean-Paul Sartre, and her lover, Jacques Laurent Bost both go off with the army.
3: And this separation from two very important men in her life left her at once vulnerable, but also acutely aware of her own independence and her own ideas.
2: Around this time, Beauvoir also begins an ill-fated love affair with a female ex-student that ends up bringing down her teaching career.
3: It's very easy with, with Simone de Beauvoir for us to focus on what has over the years um, been revealed to be an increasingly colorful personal life, uh, her intimate relationships with both men and women. But of
2: course, Simone de Beauvoir should not simply be defined by her unconventional romantic liaisons.
3: Because she had a very rich um, uh, social network that she helped um, shape and generate during this period. She's great friends, for example, with the artist Gio Cometti, um, and also with Cocteau. This very mythic, very irresistible, image of a generation of great creativity.
2: Through it all, Beauvoir and Sartre were incredibly close. They weren't just partners. They read together, traveled together. And according to Beauvoir's autobiography, there was only one night in their decades-long relationship where they even disagreed. While Sartre was an existentialist philosopher, Beauvoir saw herself more as a writer.
3: This mantle of philosopher is one that comes loaded with a certain cultural capital, this image of a patriarchal male white class.
2: Bovar wrote novels and autobiographies so her thoughts would be more accessible to women of all classes. And then her book, The Second Sex, comes out. It's instantly popular and considered very scandalous. Being a woman
0: is not a natural fact. It's the result of a
2: certain history. There's no biological or physiological or psychological destiny that defines a woman as such. She's the product of history, civilization, first of all, which has resulted in her current status. Beauvoir's assertion that women can reclaim their social privilege and power and be equal to men rightly threatens the patriarchy.
3: And so you have Albert Camus saying to her in private, and this essay makes French men look weak. You've got Francois Mauriac, the famous novelist, saying that this essay is borderline pornography, but the book sells 20,000 copies in the first week.
2: The second sex raised eyebrows, but it also cemented Simone de Beauvoir's status as a feminist philosopher. Beauvoir died in 1986. Her funeral was held six years to the day after Sartre's, and she was buried alongside him in Paris. Bradley Stevens says whenever he visits Beauvoir's grave, he sees flowers, metro tickets, cigarettes, and letters.
3: It's borderline mythic. And she would always warn us against the temptation to mythologize and idealize um, somebody's life or their reputation. Nonetheless, I think it's, it's undeniable to say that Simone de Beauvoir is certainly one of the most important French writers of the 20th century. She is undeniably one of its great women.
2: For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch.
1: You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music, Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.